0: And first graders through the back door, and you have your Bibles there, open to First Peter chapter two, First Peter two. <clears throat> I recently finished a book by a psychologist named Carol Dweck, D W E C K, I think is how you say her name, Carol Dweck, and the title of the book is called Mindset. And in it, she writes this following statement: Change change isn't like surgery when you change old beliefs it's not like removing a worn out hip or knee which is replaced with a better one instead change happens when new beliefs take their place alongside old beliefs and as the new beliefs become stronger they give you a different way to think or feel or act It's amazing when a problem improves, like controlling your anger, losing weight, better communication with your spouse, how often people stop doing what caused it to improve. Like once you feel better, you stop taking your medicine. But change doesn't work that way. Change requires a new set of beliefs which need constant support or they can go away faster than they appear. Change isn't like surgery. Instead, it's this new belief that has to be laid down beside an old belief. And then this new belief has to become stronger. It has to be exercised. It has to be supported so that it it becomes the dominant new belief. And then, because you have this new belief, you can operate in a different way. You can think differently. You can act differently. Your feelings can change because this new belief takes hold. And so our preacher this morning, the Apostle Peter, is asking his first century church, and he's asking us this morning to make a change. He is asking us to change. And I would warn you that if you read verse 18 or when we read it, it's a difficult change. What Peter is going to ask you to do is going to be very difficult today. In fact, I would say it might be the most difficult ask he makes of us from the text. He's going to ask us to make a change. He understands that the change is going to be very difficult. And if you look there in verse 18, you can say, you can see what Peter is asking. It's very clear. He wants us to respect and willingly submit to leaders and bosses who are unjust. And to endure suffering. You see, he's not not saying, hey, don't don't just submit to the people who are good bosses. Anybody can do that. But he's saying, hey, you, the first century church, you, Christ Community Church, I'm asking you now as as a new believer to submit underneath a boss who you know is unjust. And you're going to have to endure suffering. That's what I'm asking you to do today. The desire to do this wasn't uh, didn't come naturally for Peter. (laughs) My guess is that it doesn't come naturally to you either. Peter understands that just because you're a new creation in Christ although he knows that means you have a new position before God, he also knows that that doesn't mean you automatically have a new disposition. You may positionally be in a different place because Christ, but you don't necessarily have a new disposition yet. And so in order to have a new disposition, he's got to lay down some stronger new belief beside old beliefs. Because just because you've been adopted into the family of God doesn't mean you've adopted all the characteristics of God just yet. They don't come like that. Change isn't like surgery. Becoming a Christian isn't just like surgery where all of your old parts are removed and you just have a brand new set. That's, that's not how it works. You're still left with these besetting sins. You're still left with these beliefs. You're still left with these habits. And Peter understands in order to change, especially to do what he's going to ask you to do today. You're going to have a boss. You're going to have a leader. And you're going to know, people are going to know that person is unjust. And I'm asking you to live willingly underneath that kind of person. In order to do that, you have to have some new dominating belief, some new understanding that allows you to get to that point. Peter understands that. He's not a psychologist, but he understands if you're going to have to live underneath that unjust rule and endure suffering, you're going to have to adopt a new character. He knows it's not like magic. It's not like surgery. Some stronger Belief has to be put into place and then constantly supported. It's not just something that gets inserted one time. It has to be constantly supported. The the new action, the new behavior Peter is asking for us is very clear. Verse 18, servants, be subject to your masters with all respect, not only to the good and gentle, but also to the unjust and then a little later, he says, you'll have to endure suffering. Now, what if Peter just stopped at that verse? Hey, my message today, first century congregation, is you're going to have to endure suffering under leaders who are unjust. And you're going to have to endure it. And it's going to be suffering. OK, amen. Let's close in prayer. I mean, that'd be a tough sermon. Be true. But what would you leave thinking? Thinking. I mean, if you were a non-Christian and that was the sermon, you'd probably leave thinking, "Fat chance that's going to happen. I mean, no way. I mean, I'm not possibly, I mean, I'm, not, I'm struggling living underneath any authority. And if it's good authority, well, maybe if we're moving in the right direction, but but this guy up front, he's telling me I've got to live underneath an unjust authority, There's there's really no chance that's going to happen. But if Peter had just ended at that particular point, Even for the believer, I think you would have left saying, I mean, I see it. I can read. But I don't know if I can do it. I mean, can you help me, Peter? Can you help me, preacher? Can you? I see it. I want to do it. But I just don't know if I can do it. Is there any help that you can give me? Because my natural desire is to not do that. And so we're thankful that Peter didn't just stop at that particular point. He goes on, and he's, he's laying down, and once again, this belief in the gospel. He's trying to make sure that the gospel, this new belief, it's laid down in your life, and you're always going to be referring back to this particular point, especially when it comes to living underneath unjust leaders. So let's just look at what he says, verse 21. For to this you have been called... You've been called to this kind of suffering. And, and I want you to remember, first century congregation, I want you to remember Christ Community Church. This is what's going to get you through this kind of suffering. Christ suffered for you. He left an example that you might follow. Jesus committed no sin. No deceit was found. ...in Jesus' mouth. Yet, when he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he didn't threaten. Instead, he, he continued to entrust himself to him who judges justly. And keep in mind, he himself, he bore your sin in his body. In order that we might die to sin and live to righteousness... You realize that by his wounds, you yourself, you've been healed. You were straying like a sheep. But but he's come. He's found you. He's returned you to the overseer of your soul. That's the new dominating belief that Peter is laying down so that when he asks you to do these hard things, submit to Submit to rulers, submit to bosses, submit to a spouse. When you come at those things and they're not natural, you remember the gospel. This is the new dominating belief that begins to help you move in that direction. And I want to just look through that this morning. Peter's not doing anything new. He's, he's giving us a, 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 a generous application of the gospel. Because the gospel isn't something you just need when you're lost. The gospel is something that you need all the time. You need this generous application of the gospel. And so Peter understands in order to go from being dead to alive, from being blind to see, from being lame to being able to walk, he understands you've got to have the the transformational power of the gospel. But it's not like a one-time application like, well, I heard the gospel when I was 16 and I was transformed. Yes, you might have been. But it's not just a one-time application. It, it's something that has to constantly be fanned into flame, so that when I become positionally different, when I'm having now to step over and say, and I have to take on a new disposition, like living underneath the authority of somebody who's unjust, what's going to give me the power to do that? The gospel. The gospel is necessary for salvation and the gospel is necessary for sanctification. You don't get the gospel in the beginning and then you move away from the gospel or grow away from the gospel. No, what you see at Christ Community Church, we're never going to wander very far from this particular point. Because if you don't know Jesus, this is what you need to do. You need to know him. If you're struggling in your life, what's going to give you the power to get through that struggle? This is going to be the same power. See, it's flowing out. That power from the cross is flowing out for every person, whether you're lost or you're, you've been a saint for 60 years. That That's the power. That's the source. And and Paul understands this. It is the power of God for the salvation and transformation of everybody who believes. So let's just take a look just quickly at some of these passages here. In these four verses, 21 through 25. Verse 21. For to this you have been called. For to this. This meaning these things I've just been telling you about. You've been called to these things. You've been called to submission and suffering. What's what's shocking about that? I might think it should say, if we're doing the Phillips translation... You know, you're a new creation in Christ, Paul. You are a holy nation. You are a part of a royal priesthood. Welcome to this family, and you have this inheritance that is never going to go away. And you know what, Paul? In this life, occasionally you're gonna bump into suffering and have to submit. Well, okay, occasionally. But that's not what it says, does it? No, it says you've been called to it. What a difference. It's like it's like Jesus is saying to to Paul or to Peter or to you. Hey, hey, I'm over here. And you're looking over towards prosperity. And he said, no, no, I'm over here. Oh, yeah. Paul, I'm over here with suffering and submission. Hey, come over here to suffering and submission. Oh, you know, you know, I'm not as excited right now about that. I mean, that doesn't sound like your best life right now. But you see, it's not that you're just occasionally going to go go bump into suffering and submission. Jesus is saying, I am calling you into suffering and submission. Dietrich Bonhoeffer maybe says it the best when he says, When Christ calls a man, he bids him come and die. Now, consider for a moment that it's Peter delivering this particular instruction. He's saying, for to this I have called you. And it's Peter who's delivering this information. But what a contrast from previous advice that Peter once gave. You remember the account Matthew 16? Jesus is taking his disciples on this field trip. And on this field trip, he stands up and a, he says to his disciples, "You see me? You've seen all the idols of the world. You've seen what other people are following. I'm, I'm humbling, submit. I'm humbly submitting myself. I'm putting myself, the Creator, on the stage with all these idols, and I'm asking you, these twelve men, who do you say that I am?" And Peter gets it right. Peter says, you are the Christ. You're not like any of these other idols. You're the Christ. You're the son of the living God. Yes, Peter, you got it right. Way to go. And then they start going from Caesarea Philippi back towards their hometown and on their way back. And then from that point on, Jesus begins to tell his disciples really for the first time, hey, I'm heading from this place to Jerusalem, and in Jerusalem, I'm going to have to submit to unjust leaders, and they're going to kill me. That's what's going to happen. And you remember what Peter does? He feels like he just needs to give Jesus some advice. I mean, he's got some certain wisdom here. He's kind of the leader of the pack, and he gets Jesus aside. He doesn't want to say it with everybody around, and he says, you know what, Jesus, that whole submission and suffering thing, oh, we're not going that way. We're going a different way. We're going to take over this Roman Empire. We're going to be the conquerors. We're not going to get conquered. Now, Peter is looking at his first century congregation and saying, I am calling you into suffering and submission. What happened between Matthew 16 and 1 Peter 2? To totally transform Peter's way of thinking. What happened in between that? The cross happened in between. See, Peter, between Matthew 16 and now, he got to see firsthand Jesus' death for a traitor. Himself. And he got to experience the power of the resurrected Christ. And he firsthand got a a restoration visit by Jesus. He understood the gospel, and the gospel got laid down like a a mighty new belief. And now when he looks at suffering and submission, he looks at it through this, this film. It's totally different now for Peter. He understands that we're being called into that, and he can stay in that because he's seen the gospel. He's experienced the gospel. And so that's the, that's the new belief that Peter has, and that's the new belief he's trying to help us have as well. Verse 21 says, the suffering of Jesus is now our example. And the word example here in the Greek means a pattern to be traced. Remember the old um, paint by numbers? Do they still do this? Or is this something that's outdated now? When you're old, most things are outdated. But they used to have these coloring books, right? And had a beautiful picture and had a little paint tray. Anybody remember? This is just me, Right. All right, and they have a little paint tray, and then, you know, number one, yellow, number two, blue. And, you know, you look like, a, you know, a Michelangelo when you're done, right? Because you painted by the numbers. But I even noticed for me, they still look kind of sorry. But, it, I mean, if if you're, you know, artistically challenged like I was, you needed to paint by the numbers, you need somebody to say, this is how it's supposed to look. Just, you put your energy, you put all the yellow in the number one spot. Don't do anything different. When you, when you trace over this, you're going to have a beautiful picture. And that's exactly what Peter is saying. Hey, you're going, to, you're going to follow an example. You're going to wrap your life around Jesus. And when we paint you by numbers, let me show you what your life is going to look like. This is what it's going to look like. Every Christian life. When you take the canvas of your life and you wrap it around Jesus and you begin to fill it in, your life looks like a cross. You're called to. You're not stumbling into the cross. You are called to submission even if it's unjust to unjust people. You are called into suffering. Because when people see your life look like that life, what do they see? They see the grace of God. That's what, see, that's what attracted you to Christ. And now he's sending you out, not to be in the wealth and prosperity camp, but be called into this camp. Because when you live in this camp, people who walk by, they stop and say, hey, that's a different life. And so Jesus is calling us, he's calling us to say, this is my example. You've got to stretch the canvas over your, of your life over this, and it's got to end up looking like a cross. I was talking last night, I did this talk for a bunch of young life leaders. They have their weekend this weekend, and that's why a number of them aren't here this morning. And they were down at Curie Beach, and they asked me to come be the little speaker, give them a little you know, pep talk for the semester that's coming up. And one of the things I talked to him about is how difficult it is, the trajectory of the Christian life. And I used Paul as an example from Second Peter. You remember, Paul started out as a Pharisee with an entourage. He was the power broker. When he walked in, he had power. Hey, I'd like to get the papers on that guy, and I'm going to have his head by noon. Okay, that's who Paul was. And at the end, his his very last letter, he's in a prison cell. And remember, he asked Timothy, Timothy, I can't find my coat. If you could just bring my coat. You see the trajectory? He goes from power broker. Everybody knows him. Everybody bows down to I cannot find my own coat. Could you bring me a coat? See, when when Paul stretched his life over the canvas of Jesus' life, this is what it looked like. So whatever role you may play, everyone here at some point is going to have to submit. And I want you to know you're being called to it. By a good and holy God for great purposes. Peter now goes on to quote for these next few verses just out of Isaiah 53. The first thing he says is verse 22. He committed no sin. Neither was deceit found in Jesus' mouth. In other words, when, when you are following and submitting to somebody, when you're lining up underneath an unjust person and you feel like, hey, that's wrong. Remember, Jesus did that and he actually didn't do anything wrong. If I follow underneath somebody who's unjust, am I still a sinner? Oh, well, yes, I am. Yes, I am. Maybe I'm okay in this particular event, but you know what? I am, I'm a sinner. It's not hard to find it. And I can think to myself, you know what? I don't deserve this punishment, but boy, there's a punishment I do deserve. And I've avoided that punishment because of Christ. And so I can live with this punishment. I can live underneath this unjust judge because of what Christ has done for me. Who had to live underneath the unjust and was not himself a sinner? Verse 23, Jesus entrusted himself to the one who judges justly. How do you, how do you line up underneath a person who is unjust? Unjust. You have to have a new belief. You have to have a dominating new belief that enables you to walk in that direction. And part of that new belief is that there is a judge who will judge justly. I think this is a truth that is particularly critical in fighting against bitterness. The, the most fertile soil of bitterness is when you're in a place of injustice and you're on the receiving end of of something that's unjust. That's the easiest place for bitterness to take root. It could, many of you have painful stories. I'm not trying to, to pick on yours. i don't. I don't. not looking at anyone particularly. But you've lived underneath a leader, a parent, a pastor, a coach. Somebody in a leadership position. And they've been abusive. You didn't do anything wrong. It's not your fault that you've been abused. And you meet Christ. But you still deal with bitterness. That's understandable. How How do you fight against bitterness? You trust that there is a judge who will judge justly in the end. And you are able to say, God, there might be something I would want to do, but I I can't. can't, There's nothing I can do about it. It's outside of my control. It looks like they're going to get away away with it, but I'm going to entrust it to you. I'm going to say, you don't need my help for ultimate justice. Paul says it this way in Romans 12. Don't take revenge, my friends, but leave room for God's wrath. It's mine to avenge. I will repay, says the Lord. Don't be overcome by evil. See, it's even easy to be overcome and controlled by bitterness if you don't have this firmly established in your mind that God Almighty will judge one day. And his judgment falls particularly heavy on people who abuse their leadership position. So you can trust as Jesus did in God. Finally, verses 24 and 25, we arrive now at these verses that are very holy holy ground for Peter and what we see in these particular verses that Jesus isn't just an example he's our sin bearer he's not just an example for us to follow he actually bore our sin sin is rebellion against God sin is created when the creation wants to be the creator sin is when I want God to serve me instead of me serving God And see, when you when you understand that Jesus isn't just an example, but he's our sin bearer. And you go back and read verse 18 servants, be subject and suffer to unjust masters. The first thing you should think about is not you serving under some unjust, oppressive dictator. No, that's not the first thing you think about. The first thing you think about is Jesus is Jesus willingly serving under an unjust, oppressive dictator who is you. When you read verse 18, the first thing to think about is not somebody that you've had to live underneath. The first thing to think about is, that's what I did. I tried to make Jesus my, my servant. I, as a sinner, as a creation, decided I wanted God to do something. And you know what Jesus did when he felt that pressure of me bearing down on him? He he submitted. Isn't that incredible. He submitted to me. He lived underneath the weight of my sin. The king of kings did that he bore my sin on a tree he was wounded so i could be healed it's the most amazing incredible event that ever happened in human history and when you get your mind stretched around what really happened on your behalf then when you're asked to submit in another place it's just not as difficult you see that that's the new belief that has to be laid down and constantly reinforced and fanned into flames so that when you go out there tomorrow and you can think, I've got an unjust person that I've got to deal with. How do I live in that position? You live in that position because of the position of Christ. I want to close by just reading these two verses. And you just silently, you can have your eyes closed as a prayer. And think about Peter saying this, and then think about how you might say it as well, back to God. Imagine what Peter's writing. I just, I see him, or I imagine him stopping at the end of verse 23, that Jesus entrusted himself to him who judges justly, and then stopping and just imagine, just for a moment, You and Peter writing these words. You know, I I saw Jesus. He bore my sin on a tree. I saw it. He died because of my sin. I, I suppressed him with my sin. And what he did is he gave me his righteousness. I, I saw wounds open up on his back, in his hands, in his feet. I put my hands on those healed wounds and I realized he took those so that I wouldn't have to take them. I was like a sheep. I was so afraid, so easily distracted, so uncommitted to my shepherd. But he came. He came and he found me. And he picked me up and he took me back to the overseer of souls. Lord, that's the new belief that changes now every act, every feeling, every thought. And there, there may be someone here for the first time. They're hearing that for the first time. And pray that you'd help them run to you. But for most of us here, we we are hearing it again. And may it not be so familiar that it's gotten hard. That we would understand that you have done something for us. So that when you ask us to submit. We have the power to do that because of what you have done for us. And that in those particular places where it's most difficult the light of the gospel and the power of God is most bright. Some of us live in very difficult homes. Very difficult. Some of us live in very difficult work environments. It's just all we can do to get up on Monday morning. We don't, but we know brothers and sisters around the globe who live in very oppressive governments. Who are unjust. It's the power of the gospel that enables us to move forward. We pray for that power in our lives this morning. In Jesus name. Amen.